the, um, the uh, connection card as well as any physical offerings that you might have. So this is week one of God in Film. Uh, and so this is a series that I do every year, and uh, I've actually I've done it for a long time. Let me just say a couple caveats here. First of all, you're not supposed to do this. If you're a public speaker, people say, don't like draw attention to the fact that you're not feeling well or anything like that. But I feel in the age of COVID that like, if you hear me cough, you need to know, like, I took a COVID test, I'm negative, I'm good, but I have the flu, all right? And so my wife, my wife had the flu last week. I had to be, I was in Denver last week at a, at a vineyard leadership meeting, and she kept saying, I hope you don't get what I have when you're in Denver. And I'm like, I won't, I'm tough, I don't get sick. But I got, I got it pretty bad. So, so uh, hopefully, you know, we'll, we'll kind of push through. And if I cough, they'll mute me and we'll, we'll be okay. But it's not, it's not COVID. So just uh, don't worry about that. But uh, anyway, so, so I'm doing God in Film. This is something that I've done. Believe it or not, I've been doing God in Film for 22 years. I, the very first time that I ever did God in Film was in 2000. It was the first movie I ever did was The Matrix when it was a new movie. And so what I would do is I would take, I would take uh, two like two tube TVs, like 25-inch TVs, and put them on one side of, of uh, the stage and connect them with a dual-deck VCR. Remember VCRs, right? I mean, this is like, you guys are like, whoa, wait a minute. Is, this is like the Wayback Machine. And it was a little challenging, like, like trying to get a curse word out and stuff. Like, I remember there was one time where I we had to get, like, I couldn't get it because you couldn't really, like, precisely do it. So I had to have the person on the soundboard, like, hit mute, like, right here. you got to hit mute. And, like, at one service, they hit mute. The other service, they didn't hit mute. It was, it was a thing. But, um, but the reason that I do God in film is because Jesus spoke in parables. And Jesus was always trying to take, like, spiritual truths and trying to communicate it in a way that people could understand, that people could kind of fit into their life. And so, so he would tell parables because they were an agrarian society and they were farmers. And he would say, the kingdom of heaven is like this. A farmer went out to sow a seed. Or it's like somebody lost a coin. Or a son went bad and broke a father's heart. He was always breaking down the kingdom of God in ways that people can understand. And so I think that that's something that we could do. We're such a, we're such a, you know, movie kind of culture, you know, and, and, uh, and so to figure out ways that we can kind of take a movie and some themes and explore, explore some biblical truth in that. Now, let me just say this, just because I choose a movie doesn't mean that you should run out and see that movie. I'm not saying that these are the best, most wonderful, life-affirming movies that are out there. Uh, what I'm saying is that I, I found something in this movie that I think could give me an angle to talk about something that, that I think is spiritually important to talk about. Now, for the ones that we're doing this go-round, the only one that I would say, you know, don't necessarily get the kids in the popcorn and gather around the TV is the one that we're doing today, Don't Look Up. It's, it's, it's R-rated because of language. And, and just to warn you, there is, if you do end up watching it, you don't need to watch it, but if you do, there is a post-credit scene that you don't need to watch, all right? So once the credits run, just like turn it off, you're done. Um, but, uh, but the other ones, Coda, Free Guy, and, um, and Belfast are, are actually movies that I would definitely, definitely wholeheartedly recommend. Now, let me just say something about the movie that we're doing today. Don't look up. This is a, I'm, this is a little bit different. I'm, I'm taking a little bit of a risk in doing this, all right? Because what I want to do with this movie is, is there's normally when I preach, like I, I like to like kind of go for the heart. I like to preach to the heart, preach to the wills, you know, just really kind of lift up Jesus and challenge us and stir us to love Jesus more. What I want to do today is I want to explain something that's really important about our church, 
That if you're going to, you know, if you're a part of this church or you're, you know, when you think about who we are in, in the context of like the wider Christian world and things that are going on in our world, I think this is like something it's, it's important for you to understand about who we are and how we, how we understand how things work around here, what it is we're going after, all right? So, so this movie, Don't Look Up, it is a star-studded movie. Uh, it's, it's got like all the stars that are in it. It was not, it was nominated for an Academy Award. I don't think it should have been nominated for Academy, but now they nominate like 20 movies for Academy Awards. They used to do like five. Now it's like all the movies. Um, it's kind of like the NBA playoffs. Everybody but the Knicks gets to go to the NBA playoffs. Um, but anyway, so, so it's a, it's a star-studded movie. It's, it's a satire. They're really kind of making a point through satire. And Jennifer Lawrence plays uh, Kate Dibiaski. She's a Michigan State PhD candidate. She discovers this asteroid, this comet, that's coming towards Earth. She brings it to her professor, Dr. Randall Mindy, who's played by Leonardo DiCaprio. He does some calculations, and what he realizes is this meteor in six months is going to hit Earth. And then once it hits Earth, then it's like game over. Like, it's an extinction-level event. We're all done. And so, obviously, this is a very serious thing. So they first, they go to the White House. They contact the authorities. They get summoned into the White House, and Meryl Streep plays the, plays the president. And uh, the very first day, they just sit in the lobby for the whole day because, you know, the, the end of the world isn't important enough when there's other political things that are going on. And then finally, they get in to see her. She doesn't take it seriously. She just kind of treats it like a political kind of football and how can she get, you know, capital off of it. And so then they leak it to the press. But then it's the same thing, like in the, in the, the, the current kind of media kind of landscape that we're in. It basically, the first two clips that I'm going to show you, the first clip, which is two scenes kind of put together, it just shows that, that in this world that we live in, you know, with, when there are serious things that are going on, like the end of the world, that, that our institutions are so kind of corrupt that they, they're ill-equipped to kind of deal with it. So let's, uh, let's check out this first clip. So, oh. I heard there's an asteroid or a comet or something that, that you don't like the looks of. Tell me about it, and then tell me why you're telling me about it. You got 20 minutes. 20 minutes? Yes, you do. Go. Go. Uh, what, what Dr. Mindy is trying to say is that there's a comet headed directly towards Earth. And according to NASA's computers, that object is going to hit the Pacific Ocean at 62 miles due west off the coast of Chile. And then what happens? Like a tidal wave? No. It will be far more catastrophic. There will, there will be mile-high tsunamis fanning out all across the globe. If this comet makes impact, it will have the power of, of, of a billion Hiroshima bombs. There will be magnitude 10 or 11 earthquakes. You're, you're breathing weird. It's, it's, uh, it's making me uncomfortable. I'm sorry. I'm just trying to articulate the science. I know, but it's like so strange. I like trying to like listen. I don't think you understand the gravity of the situation. I'm trying to articulate it the best I can. I don't know. Madam President, this comet is what we call a planet killer. That is correct. Mm -hmm. So how certain is this? There's 100% certainty of impact. Please, don't say 100%. Can we just call it a potentially significant event? Yeah. Yes. But it isn't potentially going to happen. It is going to happen. Exactly. 99.78% to be exact. Oh, great. 
Okay, so it's on 100%. Well, scientists never like to say 100%. Call it 70% and let's just, let's move on. But it's not even close to 70%. You cannot go around saying to people that there's a 100% chance that they're going to die. You know, it's just, not, whatever. But there's a New York Herald story that's just come out that talks about a priest. Keep it right there, you're doing good. The two of you of me. Uh, I was monitoring exploding stars to help measure the expansion of the universe and- For your PhD, right? Yeah. I saw something I didn't recognize. It was a comet. <sighs> a big one. It's headed directly to Earth. And it really likely will hit. This sounds very, very exciting. Exploding stars. Like stars actually explode. So, uh, how big is this thing? Could it like destroy someone's house? Is that possible? Well, Comet Bibiaski, which is what it will officially be named, is somewhere. After her, after yeah, after yeah. Her. Oh, congratulations. What an honor. Yeah, right. Congratulations. It's somewhere between six and nine kilometers across, so it's big. It would damage the the entire planet, not just a house. No. The entire planet. Okay. Well, as it's damaging, will it hit this one house in particular that's right on the coast of New Jersey? It's my ex-wife's house. I needed to be in. Can we make that happen? You need to stop. I will, but in all fairness, I actually paid for the house. I'm sorry. Are we not being clear? We're trying to tell you that the entire planet is about to be destroyed. Okay. okay. Well, it's, uh, you know, just something we do around here. You know, we just keep the bad news light. Right, it helps the medicine go down. And speaking of medicine, tomorrow we've got a two Well, maybe the destruction of the entire planet isn't supposed to be fun. Maybe it's supposed to be terrifying and unsettling. Please, don't do that. And you should stay up Please. all night, every night, crying. When we're all 100% for sure going to die. <laughs> okay. So, um, so anyway, so we got this biggest, most serious threat that could possibly happen. But our institutions are so corrupt and self-serving and vacuous that they are incapable of doing anything about it. And so what happens in this, in this story is they finally get the attention of the world and people realize, okay, this is a threat, this is a problem. And so they come up with this plan, they're going to blow the meteor out of the sky and going to save humanity. But then Bash Electronics, which is a tech company, think Apple, uh, decides that there are minerals that need to be exploited. People can get wealthy off of this, this asteroid. And so they come up with this plan, rather than blowing it up, kind of figuring out how they can mine it. And so, so what ends up happening, what it shows is that even something as concrete as like a meteor hurtling towards Earth, that we are so politically divided that, that if one side says, you know, white, the other says black, if one says up, the other says down, what this shows is even with something as concrete as a meteor heading towards Earth, that it gets totally politicized. And so, so I'll show you the, the, the next clip here. You see that Kate, you know, after she, she tries to go home, but her parents, because they're on one, some people are for mining the comet, others are against it. They, her parents won't let her in the house. Dr. Mindy is at first trying to be like a shill for the government, and then he realizes that they're corrupt and he tries to expose them. Then it gets to the point where, where once you could actually see the physical comet like in the atmosphere, Mindy and, uh, and Kate say they shoot this video and they're like, just look up. 
Like you can look up, you can see it. Forget about the spin, forget about the politics, forget, forget about the, you know, the, the political football. Just look up. But then the other side says, don't look up. You know, just keep your head down and just don't look up. And so it, it just shows how divided we are as a country and how kind of how unstable things have become. So let's watch this, uh, this next clip. And then we're going to talk about it. Mom, Dad, so glad to be home. Unlock the door. No politics. None. What are you talking about? Your dad and I are for the jobs the Comet will provide. The divisions in this country are bad enough. We don't want more of that in our house. <laughs> Whoa! Slow down, kids. Sorry, Mom. I worry about my kids and their future. Sure, the jobs the Comet's going to create sound great. What if it's not safe? Right now, millions of you are having these same doubts and questions about the approaching comet. That is why Bass Cellular, in conjunction with the United States government, is creating a new hotline, free of charge, to answer all of your questions. And who knows? Maybe, just maybe, one of our scientists. Thank you, Sharon. It makes me feel so much better. Can be that friend we all need to lean on during uncertain times. Call 1-800-532-4500 for peace of mind. Offer only available to Bass customers. Details of your call may be shared with other subsidiaries to enhance your future customer experience. Go outside into your yard, onto a roof, onto your sidewalk, and just look up into the sky. The star's going to appear fuzzy. But it's got a long streak coming off of it. That's the comet's tail. It's real and it's coming. If it's anyone... fact, yes, proof. Just look up. Guys, please just look up, okay? And just look up. Just look yeah. up. to save Earth and make it so we can all have a home is going to work, right? Every single man, woman, and child on this planet is going to die. I don't like him. He makes me sad. I'm sorry about that. Yeah, but... Hey, do you know why they want you to look up? Do you know why? Because they want you to be afraid. They want you to look up because they are looking down their noses at you. They think they're better than you. Kids, don't look up! Don't look up! Because I'll rip you of your freedom. Don't look up! Don't look You put your head down and you put one foot in front of the other. Step by step. Boom! Day by day! All right, so... So I felt, you know, this, this movie, for whatever political, you know, purposes, whatever they were trying to do, I thought it just really exposed the current state of where we are. The, the state of where we are kind of politically and culturally. And, and in our current climate right now, things are really confusing. There is so much that is on the line facing our world, facing our country. It may not be a comet that's hurtling towards Earth, but we have just finished, you know, two two years of COVID, 
And there's over almost a million people who have died in our country because of COVID. There's, there's been a very painful racial reckoning and hearing the, the real pain of people trying to figure out how we can move forward and, and how we can reform and still have effective policing, like, like really serious issues. Now we've got this war in Europe. This war in Europe between, you know, powers that have, that have nuclear capabilities. There's inflation that we've, you know, they used to say we haven't seen since the 70s, and now we can say that we haven't seen it before. All of the metrics seem to point that after the last two and a half years, people are not doing well. You know, addictions are up, divorces are up, mental health issues are up, especially among teenagers and young adults, the, the, the mental health, you know, the statistics are through the roof. And over, through all this, we are so divided as a country, more divided than we've ever been, that, that now more than 50% of people believe, from, all, from both sides of the aisle, believe that we are heading towards a civil war. And so in the midst of all of this stuff that's going on, we have the opportunity. We get to be the church. We get to be the church for such a time as this. The Bible talks in the book of Acts, it talks about David being faithful to his generation. And then it says that, that, he, that he rested. But first, he was faithful to his generation. So what does it mean for us to be faithful to our generation? So what I want to talk about today, I just wanted to take those clips and kind of set things up. I want to, I want to talk about how we navigate things politically here at the North Jersey Vineyard. I want to just kind of explain kind of who we are, what we're trying to do, how we understand how all of this kind of works together. Because in our current climate, there are three dynamics that make it really hard for the church to be the church. There are three dynamics that make it hard for the church to be the church. The first is this, everything is politicized. We live in a time where everything is seen through a political lens. There are no neutral topics. Everything is point countertop. Well, you know, one person says it's up, the other person says it's down. And we saw this so clearly during the pandemic, right? The pandemic, it was a, it was a, a, it was a health catastrophe, but we made it political. It didn't take long for it to become political. Should schools be open or not? Well, that became a political issue. If you were in a red state, they were, you know, they were, they were open. If you were in a blue state, they were closed. Mass mandates, you saw that it depended whether it was a blue state or a red state. You know, uh, uh, as far as vaccines are concerned, you had higher rates of vaccinations in, in blue states, lower rates of vaccinations in red states. You take like Dr. Fauci or the CDC, beloved by one side, vilified by the other. Everything is viewed through a political lens. If one side says one thing, the other side just knee-jerks as the exact opposite. The second thing that makes it, I think, really confusing and hard is cancel culture. We live in a time that if you say something, if somebody says something that somebody disagrees with, they're canceled. They're done. It's like, okay, well, you know what? I'm going to totally write them off. I'm going to discredit everything they've ever done, everything they've ever said. And this has bled into the church. And can I just say, I am so thankful for you guys. Because to be honest, like we have been spared a lot of what other churches have gone through. So I, I was just in Denver this past week and I was at a, a vineyard leadership meeting and I was with a lot of my pastor friends from around the country. And so many of my pastor friends had such a hard time. 
They had such a, because you know what? It was just like people were just leaving the churches in droves because it was like, you know, we don't like that we're going, we've gone to online services or we don't like that there's a mass mandate or you're talking about racism too much or you're not saying the right political things. And so, so many people have had so many, have had so many pastors have, have been canceled by their parishioners because they didn't say things exactly the right way. And, uh, and, and people will leave churches that they've been a part of for years because they don't agree with one thing that the pastor said. I, I heard this one pastor talk about uh, in his church, they, had, they went to having online services. And so people were upset that they were having online services. And so people were sending in angry emails and saying, we're leaving the church because you've gone to online services. And so this pastor was trying to call people who had emailed them and tried to have a conversation with them. And so he, t- he got a hold of this one guy who had sent a very like, angry email. And, uh, and, and so the, the guy said, well, listen, I, I just want to say that that when my wife and I first started coming to your church years ago, I just want you to know that you saved our marriage, that coming to this church saved our marriage. We were about to get a divorce, but, but coming here saved our marriage. But, but unfortunately, we can't come to this church anymore because you've, you're going to online services, you've bowed the knee to Caesar, and we can't come anymore. And so we see that that cancel culture is something that's, that's infected the church. And the reality is that pastors are really hurting. For every, I heard this statistic this past week. For every one person coming into pastoral ministry, three are leaving. And I think this cancel culture in the church has a lot to do with it. The third thing that I think is making it confusing, making it hard for us to be the church, in, you know, for such a time as this, in the midst of such an important time, is culture war Christianity. Now, I'm going to name something, and I hope that, listen, listen, I just said what I said about cancel culture, so you won't cancel me, all right? If I've offended you or whatever, we can, you know, we can talk about it. But I think this is important, that we need to be aware. This version of Christianity, this culture war Christianity, that, that it's caught up in the same games that everyone else is caught up with. It's consumed with winning. And it perpetrates this narrative that, that we as the church, that we're constantly under attack and that we need to fight back using the weapons of this world, that we need to fight back using politics and using all the different... We need to, in order to kind of like push back, to win the the culture war, we need to fight back using the world's tactics. I remember after January 6th, 2021, I addressed the church because I was so grieved by what I saw in the nation's capital that day. And what really, what grieved me were the signs that people were carrying that said Jesus 2020. And I just thought, like, that people would take Jesus, you know, my Savior, and say that he had anything to do what was ha- with what was happening that day in Washington, D.C., was really offensive. And so I used it as an opportunity to talk about the dangers of Christian nationalism. And, and let me just reiterate that, that I understand Christian nationalism is the belief that God cares about the United States in a way that's different from how he cares about other nations. It's the belief that God is so invested in the American political system that a victory of one party over the other or one president over another president is somehow a victory for the kingdom of God. It's, a, it's this belief that, that suggests that we need to focus our energy, our time, our prayers, our social equity that we use on social media, spiritual gifts like prophecy, on trying to secure a political outcome. It's a belief that somehow our hope as Christians is connected and intertwined with political outcomes. 
And I think this is a very dangerous thing to embrace because history is full of examples of, of ways that, uh, that dictators and demagogues and various isms and political parties have manipulated and used the church for their ends. See, the church, what we're called to be is a prophetic voice. We are to speak into political structures. We are to speak into governments. We're to call them to love justice, to protect the weak, to pursue righteousness. The church speaks to political structures. The church doesn't speak for political structures. And I think that, that a lot of Christians in the United States, where this is getting blurry for us. And I think it's important for us to understand. So let me explain, let me clarify a couple other things. You need to understand, like if you're a part of this church, that we are, when it comes to our theological beliefs, we are what would be considered conservative. We are conservative theologically. What that means is that we believe the Bible is the word of God. We believe, uh, we, we don't just like kind of cherry pick like the parts of the Bible that we like. We don't say, oh, I like the teachings of Jesus, but I don't like the teachings of Paul. We don't say, oh, I like the New Testament, but I don't like the Old Testament. You know, or we understand that there are some things, parts of the Old Testament were written 3,000 years ago. And so we know that there are some things that were culturally kind of difficult and hard to understand. So we wrestle with it and we try to figure out what God is saying and what that, how that applies to today. But, but, but we believe that the Bible is the word of God and that it has authority. We believe that Jesus is the son of God. We believe that he was born to a, to a virgin. We believe that he died on a cross. We believe that he rose from the dead. We believe that he's coming back again. We believe that, uh, that it's really important that people receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That it's important that people, that people come into the born-again experience. And so we give opportunities all the time for people to pray and receive Jesus. And so these beliefs that, that we have would make people say, oh, okay, you guys theologically you're conservative. Now, what I've, what I've seen, and I've seen this in real time, is that once churches begin to lose that, that kind of commitment to orthodoxy, to the kind of the basics of the Christian faith, once they lose a sense of like needing people needing a personal savior and just start talking about the universal brotherhood of man and, and, and don't really focus so much on the need for salvation, what happens is that, is that those churches lose their spiritual vitality very quickly. Like, I've seen that happen in real time, like with friends of mine, where like in just like a year or two, it's like everything has changed. And so, so anyway, so we are conservative theologically, but we are a very diverse church. And our diversity is not just in our, in, in our being multiracial or socioeconomic diversity. We are also politically diverse. And I, and I think it's important for us to understand this. And the reality is most churches, a lot of times, churches, they're not only monocultural, they're also kind of monopolitical. Right? A lot of times, like everyone in, in one church will vote one way or another church, they all vote another way. But what we have in our church is we have people who, who because they read the Bible and because of their convictions they vote one way, maybe they vote Republican because of, you know, like what the Bible says about the unborn or what the Bible says about, about the family or what the Bible says about individual rights. But then we have other people who read the Bible and then they vote Democratic because of what the Bible says about immigration, what the Bible says about caring for the poor, what the Bible says about, about the environment. And so, and, and we're cool with that. Like we, we say, hey, we want to lift up Jesus and we want people to get close to Jesus. We're not going to tell you how to vote. 
we're going to say, like, read the Bible and really and vote your conscience and kind of figure out what God is saying to you. But you see, the thing of it is, is that during Jesus' earthly ministry, they were constantly trying to get Jesus to weigh in on the political issues of the day. Like, constantly. You know, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were always going at it. And a lot of the times when, when they came up and they asked Jesus questions about divorce or different things like that, what they were trying to do is they were trying to say, Hey, Jesus, you have a lot of power. You have a lot of, of authority. Would you please help us win? Like, we're, we're having this battle right now with the Sadducees. And show, just let them know that we're right and, you know, they're wrong. Or, you know, should we pay taxes to Caesar or whatever it was? They were constantly trying to get Jesus to weigh in. But Jesus wouldn't do that. Jesus consistently refused to play their game. He refused to play their game because what he came to do was to completely change the game. And what I see happening now, I think that we just have to be aware with so much that's going on in this world, so much that's so serious, is that, is that we need to be thinking about the way that the game that Jesus came to play, not the game that's being played all around us. See, this world is all about power. Who has power? Who's in charge? Who has authority? Who has the narrative? Who's going to make the money? But Jesus flipped that on its head. And so if we want to understand the way of Jesus, because that's what we want to be about as a church, is we want to be about the way of Jesus. And the way of Jesus is spelled out in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 12, where it says, In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God... Now leave this verse up here. But in being... First of all, it says being in very nature God. See, the disciples, they spent three and a half years with Jesus, and you know what they came away with the conclusion of? They were like, you know what? That wasn't just a good teacher. That wasn't just a prophet. That was God in the flesh. We just spent three and a half years with God in the flesh, who being in the very nature God. You know, when, and then you have John. He wrote, God is love. Why did he write God is love? Come to this realization that, wow, the essence of God is that he's love because John had just spent three and a half years with Jesus. And he was like, man, love is what Jesus is all about. Being in very nature God did not consider... Uh, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. And so he did not consider equality with God the fact that Jesus was at the top of the hierarchy. He didn't say, I'm going to use this to my advantage. Rather, what he did is he emptied himself. He laid aside the privileges of deity. It says, let me go on, it says, rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, he made himself nothing. He took on the very nature of a servant. See, a servant doesn't try to win. A servant lifts up other people. A servant wins by serving other people. It's not power over people. It's power under people. It's the upside-down kingdom of God. And this is the posture that we are to take in this world. Right? We don't play, have your political convictions, but when it, when it comes to what it means for us as followers of Jesus, we are about serving Jesus and following Jesus, following the way of Jesus. We are his hands and we are his feet. We're playing a different game. 
We are serving, we are loving, we are laying our lives down. And this is why the disciples had such a hard time. You know, whenever, you know, I get through the Passion Week and preaching leading up to Easter, it's always kind of confusing because the disciples, like Jesus said over and over and over again, said, listen, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to die. And, you know, and, and even though we said that so many times, I'm going to die and then I'm going to be raised to life, they didn't hear it. They couldn't, it didn't like penetrate their skull because they didn't have a category for it. I mean, the disciples, after spending three and a half years with Jesus, right, right as Jesus is heading to Jerusalem, it tells us in a couple of different places that James and John come up to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, hey, listen, we know that you're about to win. You're about to win the whole game. And so when you win, we want to have the seats of power. Could one of us be on your right and the other be on your left? And then all the other disciples, they heard this was going on, and they didn't rise up and say, James and John, what's wrong with you guys? Don't you understand this is the way of Jesus? No, they got mad because they're like, no, we want to have the seats of power. Like after three and a half years, they didn't get it. There was another time when, when uh, right around, it says, it says, as they were heading towards Jerusalem, as things were getting really close, Luke chapter 9, verse 51 to 55, it says, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven... Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. So like time is coming to an end. Jesus is going to Jerusalem to face the cross, to deal with everything. He sent messengers ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. So the Samaritans, they didn't like to, you know, he was going to Jerusalem like, we don't like you. So when the disciples, James and John, there they are again, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. And the word he used for rebuked was the same word that he used to cast out demons. He's like, listen, guys, you don't get it. This is not what I'm about. You know, Jesus, because what they were saying, Jesus, if you go to Jerusalem and you get arrested and you get killed, then how are we going to win? And what Jesus is trying to get them to see is that I'm going to lose their game. And in doing so, I'm going to win the game that I've been trying to play, which is about power under, which is about the greatest being the servant of all, which is about laying down your life. And so they followed Jesus to Jerusalem. And the best possible person suffered the worst death imaginable. And in the week leading up to his death, they saw him do all sorts of things to try to model this. They saw him wash, their, wash the disciples' feet, and that shocked them. That was so hard for them to understand. They saw him embrace the cross, that he didn't even defend himself. He didn't even open up his mouth. He prayed as he's hanging on the cross. He prayed, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. There was a crook, a common crook, and he said, Today, you're going to have the privilege of being with me in paradise. And then they finally got it. Like something finally happened with the disciples that they're like, oh, okay, the way of Jesus, it's different. It's not calling down for, you know, fire from heaven. It's not trying to get power through political power. It's not playing that game. It's a different way to live. It's the way of Jesus. And the first couple generations of Christianity, they got this right. They lived selfless lives in Jesus' name. They embraced the way of Jesus. They played a different game. And the gates of hell and the power of Rome were no match for them. But what happened, though, is as the centuries kind of wore on, the church decided, hey, let's, let's play the world's game. Let's, let's do things according to the world's ways. And so throughout history, whenever the church has opted for the machinery in the kingdom of this world, 
Whenever we've played the world's game, the church ends up looking just like the world. It ends up becoming just as corrupt as the world. It ends up becoming completely lifeless and ineffective because it's playing the wrong game. Rather than being a prophetic voice to those seated in the seats of power, we end up begging for the scraps that fall from the table. We look weak. We look fearful. We become known for what we are against rather than what we're for. We are corrupt. We become just another organization with a self-serving agenda. And so that's why at the North Jersey Vineyard, Listen, you know, and sometimes people don't, you know, it's like I I just saw this as an opportunity to clarify some things that I think are really important for us to understand. We will never align ourselves with any political movement or person other than Jesus of Nazareth and his ministry and his purpose and his kingdom. That's what we're about. We're about the way of Jesus. And let me just, you know what, I got one more clip I'm going to show you here. And, and I just, you know what, there's, there's so much at stake. I just, I feel like it's so important for us to get this right, for us to understand and re-embrace the way of Jesus. So, so what ends up happening in this, in this movie, you know, is that they, they try to mine the minerals and it doesn't work, of course. And so the, so the comet is, is coming to earth and all life is going to be over. And, uh, and so... Um, so, so uh, Kate and Dr. Mindy and, and some others, they, they gather together. It's like life's going to be over in just a few moments. And they kind of have this little bit of an epiphany. They have a moment together. And uh, so let's, let's watch this, uh, this last scene. I'm thankful for that night. I fell asleep out in the backyard. Woke up face to face with a baby deer. I remember that. It was the best day of my life. I'm grateful. Dearest Father and Almighty Creator, we ask for your grace tonight, despite our pride, your forgiveness, despite our doubt. Most of all, Lord, we ask for your love to soothe us through these dark times. May we face whatever is to come in your divine will, with courage and open hearts of acceptance. Amen. Amen. Wow, you've got some church game. That was beautiful. So I like where 
where uh, Kate says, at least we, we tried. I'm, I'm thankful that we tried. And so that's, that's really just the encouragement that I have for us, that we, as the, as the North Jersey Vineyard, is seeking to, to follow Jesus, that we embrace the way of Jesus. Because you know what? 2,000 years ago, there were a handful of disorganized, socially disenfranchised, ragtag followers of Jesus. They had, they had no you know, incredible organization. They had no technology. They had no cars or airplanes or digital presence. They weren't connected at all to the powers that be. Actually, they were, like, they were really marginalized. But they had the best news imaginable, and they embraced the ways of Jesus. And so I, I just want to encourage us that we would embrace the way of Jesus, that we as a church, that yes, you know what, we, we have political opinions, but that we understand the difference between, between politics and the kingdom of God, that we understand what it means for us to serve rather than what it means for us to win. And I want us to understand that as a church, and I just don't want, it just seems that so often the message of Jesus is being kind of diluted because there's all this other cultural stuff that's kind of in there. We're about lifting up Jesus. We're about uh, lifting up the, the cross of Jesus. We're about caring for the poor. We're about loving our enemies. We're about trying to bring grace and mercy wherever we can bring it because God has had such grace and mercy for us. We want to extend grace and mercy to other people. That's what we want to be all about. And we don't want to, we don't want to get caught up in any of the other nonsense. We want to keep our eyes. We want to come to the, the purity and simplicity of devotion to Jesus Christ. And not only for us as a church, but also for us as individuals. And so maybe you've got something going on in your life right now where you're like, there's like a power dynamic going on. Maybe it's at your job. Maybe it's in your family, whatever it is. And you're, you're in that place where you're like, man, I want to win. I want to win here. Just know if you're a follower of Jesus, the way we win is by laying down our life. The way we win is by serving. That's the way of Jesus. That's what he showed us. And it's true for us as, you know, societally. It's true for us as a church. And it's true for us in our individual lives. So let's all stand. And I just want to pray. And I, again, you know, this is a little bit of a different message. feels a little different than what I normally do. But I just felt it was important for me to lay some of these things out there. And I just felt that this movie gave me an opportunity. Next week's going to be, or two, is going to be CODA. It's just going to be heartwarming. And it's all going to be good. But, uh, but I just felt like this was an important thing for us to address and for us to think about. Um, we're going to have the... Uh, if we, could, if we could go ahead and pass the, uh, the baskets, if you notice there's baskets that are right underneath those seats in that last row over there, and just pass them down. Got some ushers who kind of help, you know, just going to go right down the row and you can put your connection card uh, as well as any physical offering that you have. You can put it in the basket as it passes by. Um, we're going to have, we're gonna have a, a, some prayer ministry available. So we're going to have some people from the prayer ministry team. They're going to come up. And so specifically, uh, just had a sense of God wanting to do some healing. Uh, if somebody, if you've got an issue with your right ankle, there's a sense that God wanted to heal you. Somebody who has ringing in their ear, uh, someone else who has pain and swelling in their right knee, um, someone else you've been, you've been having migraines that have been causing uh, blurry vision, uh, pain and stiffness in your lower back. If any of these things are, are conditions that you're dealing with, the prayer team got together before the service and they asked God, who do you want to heal? What do you want to do? And these were, they had a sense that, that God wanted to heal some of these specific situations. And so if that's, if that's you, just, or if you have any need for physical healing, come on up and get some prayer. And I just also want to encourage you 
that if you're in a situation, if you're in a situation where you feel like I need to win, and it's, it's so hard to embrace the way of Jesus. It's so hard to go with that power under rather than power over. But we want to we wanna pray for you that God will give you the grace and the wisdom that you need to, to really, whatever the situation you're in, maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's, you know, maybe you've got a boss who's really making life super difficult for you. Maybe there's some extended family situation. Whatever it is that you would, that you would just have the courage the counter to embrace the counterintuitive way of Jesus where we, where we win by losing, we win by laying our life down. And so, Lord, I just pray in Jesus' name, God, that you would help us as individuals and that you would help us as a church, God, to embrace the cross, embrace the way of Jesus, that we would empty ourselves, that we would follow you. And Lord, in this, in this broken culture that's all around us, where, there's, where everyone is just trying to win and everyone's just trying to make a name for themselves and everyone's trying to score political capital or whatever it is, God, I pray that we would honor you as a church and that we would honor you with our lives. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that you lifted us up by laying your life down. Because Lord, where would we be without you? We love you, Jesus, and we give you our hearts. Amen. Amen. If we could have some people from the prayer ministry team will be up here. And, and if you want some prayer for anything, just come on up. All right? God bless you guys, and have a great week.